heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them, from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen to the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. The doctor saving lives at your local hospital. The war veteran down the street who risked his lives for our freedom. The police officers and firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur. The creator. The producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. And I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks of the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello, and welcome back to The Hero Show. I'm Richard Matthews, and I've got on the line with me Lane Kawaka. I'm going to butcher this. Kawaka. Is that how you say it? Uh, Kawaka. Plus enough. Good try. Kawaka. <laughs> Um, get it. Don't worry about it. So what, what I want to do real quick is introduce you so everyone knows who you are. Um, so let's see here. Lane um, is a licensed professional with a master's degree in civil engineering um, and emphasis in construction management and bachelor's in industrial engineering from University of Washington. As an engineer, you managed over $230 million of capital construction projects in uh, the public space, um, city, state, and federal, and the private sector. And aside from your day job, you control seven manufactured home parks, 15 apartment buildings, and one assisted living facility, totaling 2,600 units in 11 different markets here in the U.S., which is crazy cool. Um, passion project is simplepassivecashflow.com, um, top 50 investing podcast. Um, so what I want to do real quick is just start talking about what you're known for. What is it that people, um, you know, what is it you, that your business is known for? Um, and then what is it that you, you know, Lane, Kawakoa are known for? Yeah. yeah so today, um, you know, I own about 2,800 units or so, uh, target class B and C recession proof assets. And uh, like you said, like work for housing apartments and mobile home parks and a little bit of assisted living. And uh, we, what we do is we do minor roof improvements to the property to bump the rents up a little bit so that we can increase the force appreciation, increase the value. So that's what I'm doing operation. Yeah, the, increase the cap rates and whatnot. Right, right. Um, and then what is it that you do with uh, the smart passive um, cash flow? Yeah, so simplepassivecashflow.com is my, uh, my URL and it's also the name of my podcast. And um, there, you know, it started like four years ago, 2016. Um, you know, I've been investing for quite a while, but you know, 2016, 15, a lot of my friends were asking me, well, how do I buy all these rental properties across the country? And then I don't even step foot in it. And they're asking me how I was doing it. And you, you know, it's real estate or it's like anything, any business, right? Nobody ever does anything. They just yeah. want to hear you talk about it. So I, I just decided to record it in a podcast form. Um, so I wouldn't have to keep repeating myself to people who wouldn't follow through with it. So um, yeah. That went through for like a year, and then finally in 2017, people like started to give me a lot of like positive feedback um, for doing it, and that was kind of been uh, my passion project going forward. Is, you know, a lot of people say it helps them out, points them in the right direction, gives them a lot of practical advice. You know, it's sort of my my give back um, the freebies out there out in the world. 
Awesome. Do you offer um, like coaching or training in the real estate space or is it just the podcast? Yeah. I mean, I started doing that just in, in the beginning, but it's kind of trading time for dollars. But now what I do is I have like a group coaching and yeah. passive investor accelerator. So it's a little bit more cost effective for people because I, I don't think people should pay more than 10, 20 grand for a mentor. You know, that's ridiculous, especially when like yeah. a lot of these turnkey rentals to get started, you know, you maybe need like twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 to get going, you know, 10, 20 grand. That's like a down payment. You know, you should put it to a property instead of paying some yeah. dude. So and that's kind of what I do these days, but mostly the people in there are accredited investors. So that's really nothing to them. Um, you know, if your net worth is under 200 grand, I mean, you should stick to all the free stuff in my opinion. That makes sense. So what I want to talk about is your origin story, right? Every hero has their origin story. It's where you started to realize that you were different, that, you know, maybe you had superpowers and you could use them to help other people. How do you start to develop or discover like that you were an entrepreneur and, and, you know, how did you sort of make this transition from being a civil engineer to being a real estate investor and, and getting into business? Yeah, I think like a lot of like, you know, high paid working professionals out there, you know, we all started with this uh, blueprint of study hard in school to go to college, study hard in college to go get a good job. Um, and I call this the linear path. I followed the linear path for much of my life and, um, you know, graduated with industrial engineering from University of Washington, went to, went to work. And, um, you know, construction civil engineers, they just stick us out in the field. It's not the best job in the world. Actually, it kind of sucks a little bit. But, yeah. um, you know, and, and again, following all that financial dogma of like even buying your own home to live in, which I don't quite believe is the right path for most people out there. Um, mm -hmm. But I did it anyway, because, you know, I'm brainwashed like anybody else. So I bought that house to live in. Um, you know, I think one of my uh, things that helped me was I, I was really cheap when I started out. So I was able to save most of my paycheck. So I bought a, a home to live in in Seattle. And because I was traveling so much for work and had no life, um, I just realized that, and I was never home. I just realized, hey, maybe I should just rent this thing out and just live in the company hotel, um, you know, as I traveled around the country on, on jobs. Um, so that's what I did. And, you know, that, that property was $350,000. It, I just went in with 20% down payment and the mortgage was 1600 and the rents were 2200. So there was a little bit of a Delta between there. And I thought, wow, I got to keep doing this again and again and again. Um, this is my ticket out of the rat race. So how long did it take you to go from um, your first, you know, rental property to like saying buying your next property to like really scaling it to the point where you have 2,600 units? Yeah. So, I mean, the second property, you know, I was able to save maybe like $30,000 a year. So the next property took me a couple of years to save up for. Um, and then things got a little bit quicker because then I, then I caught on to this fact that I shouldn't invest in primary markets, such as where I was living, Seattle, California, New York, you know, places where the rent to value ratios don't make sense. And you know, if you're new to real estate investing, you know, we look at this rent to value ratio where you take the monthly rent divided by the purchase price. And what we're looking for is something 1% higher. So, you know, like that first property I bought was it rented for 2,200 a month and you divide it by the purchase price of 350,000. That's much 
under 1%. Um, I didn't know that yeah. at the time. So then I switched to buying properties out in the Midwest, Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, where I could pick up very high quality class B minus properties for $100,000 that rented for $1,000 or more. So that was kind of my protocol for the next 11 properties. And so you, you did, uh, did the um, single family homes to start with for your first 11 properties. When did you make the transition into buying multifamily? Yeah, so that probably came around in 2015. Um, got up to that many properties. I thought that I was going to get like 30 rental properties. and That was going to be my financial freedom. But you know, if you do the math, if you're cash flowing a few hundred dollars per property, 10 properties is just 30 or $3,000 a month. You know, that's nothing for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, it's awesome. Don't get me wrong. Right. I mean, it's, it's sort of passive, but as you start to layer on more properties now, you know, even though you have a property manager to manage the day to day and all the garbage that happens, um, you know, I mean, I was getting like an eviction or two every year, uh, some kind of a catastrophe happening every quarter which was fine, yeah. right? The property manager is doing that. But you know, if, I need, if I needed 30 properties to hit nine, $10,000 a month, the cash flow, then you multiply all those numbers by three. And that was what yeah. I realized it just wasn't scalable. So in 2016, I committed to going to, into an asset class that was a little more scalable at that time. Did you pick mobile home parks specifically over something like apartment complexes or other multi-unit things like self-storage? Was there a reason why you went that direction? Well, I mean, I got, I think I racked up maybe like 2000 apartment buildings first. Um, and then, you know, the mobile home park thing is more of a late thing, later thing. I mean, apartments is just very the logical progression. So many investors who have done single family homes from 2010 to 2015, you know, they're, it's not the hardest thing in the world. And they're progressing up to larger assets and a lot of them are coming into the apartment space. I mean, quite frankly, a lot of the dumb money is coming to apartments these days. So as a contrarian investor, I, I always try to move ahead of the pack. So that's why I'm moving more into mobile home parks these days, because it's just, it, it's not for the faint of heart, right? There's like sort of a knee jerk reaction if you've never lived in a mobile home park and I've never lived in a mobile home park, but you know, once you visit them, um, I would say they're a lot better community than a lot of the class C apartments that I own. So that's more of a, a later stage thing, um, these mobile home parks. My curiosity is when it comes to running a real estate business like this real estate investing career, um, what would you say your, I say your superpower in your business is, right? What is it that you, that you bring to the table that really helps, you know, solve the problems for the people that you are, you know, because you, in, in your case, you were your clients for the people who live in your live in your properties, right? So, what is it that you you do that really helps solve the problem for them and helps you grow your business? I mean, on on the operation side, I'm just smart enough to know that I'm not the one who wants to do it. You know, I just don't have the patience, and I'm, quite frankly, I don't want to be the person collecting rent checks and playing enforcer. Mm -hmm. So that's why we hire the best professionals to do it as employees. Um, as far as like the podcasting side, I mean, I think people think I'm pretty authentic, you know, like I tell people how it is and like my investors, they, that's what they want to hear, right? They don't want me to sugarcoat it. Um, I mean, like I, I actually just wrote this article for a 
magazine recently and I know you I think you'll like this because you're a comic book guy too but like I mean look at like Thor right like look at his character art in the Avengers mm -hmm. like the first couple movies people don't really like him right you, you know I mean, other than the fact that he's like ripped right but there wasn't much yeah. there it wasn't until like Thor 3 and then especially Fat Thor came along that people they really resonated with people right Mm -hmm. So, I mean, in a way, I'm kind of like that. Like, I don't know, just like my personality. I think people really resonate to it, and it's real. So you're uh, you're like Fat Thor, right? You yeah. aggressively lazy, right? You you're like I I want to have my business, but I want it to I want it to to run sort of like on its own, where I'm just providing the you know like the strategy and what is going on. But you have people that are making everything happen. Right, right, and people want to like work with people that are real. Right, as opposed to their traditional real estate firm, who's, um, you know, they got they're, they're in uh, white shirt, brown pants, blue or yeah, yeah, blue pants, brown shoes, you know that protocol, and they're kind of talking from a script. You know, you don't know who they are people wise, yeah. and that you know that's when I invest with people, I want to know who they are personally. Do you still uh, do you still have your day job, so to speak, as a civil engineer, or are you all in on the investing now? Um, yeah, so I quit last April because it was just getting to be a little bit too much. Um, I mean, a 100K job was easy money, but just the people around, right? Being in the MLW, very draining to be around that mindset and to be quite frankly, covering it up. Right? Yeah. Like how Clark Kent has to cover his identity and, you know, hey, Clark, you want to arm wrestle? You know, it's just, you know, and people are telling me how to manage my finances. And I'm like, are you kidding me, man? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that picture. It's like asking Clark Kent to arm wrestle. <laughs> right. And he can't, he can't show his true identity. You know, I, I think one time um, somebody heard I owned like three rentals in, uh, or five rentals in Birmingham. And they're like, hey, man, mm -hmm. you know, you can't, can't say that, you know. People are gonna think you're not, you're not uh, focused at your job. I'm like, all right, well, sh thankfully you guys don't know about the other like 2,800 in the other states. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I had an experience like that a couple of weeks ago. I was in San Francisco. We travel full time with my family, and uh, I had a, a gentleman come up to me just like on the street and was just chatting and whatnot, and he started trying to give me like advice on like how I should run my life and my business. Um, and, and I was like, you don't, <laughs> I was like, you don't, you don't have any idea like what the results I have are. Why are you trying to tell me how I should run my life? Um, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, like I tell all my investors, it's like, don't take advice from people who are not financially free. And sometimes yeah. that might even include your CPA and your lawyer, right? That's why they're still working at JOB. They haven't figured it out. Yeah, <laughs> that's really awesome. Um, so, so I, I like I like the whole like hidden Superman kind of kind of thing. Um, but you're um, so you you quit last year. Now you're full full on in the investing career. Are you still looking at growing your portfolio, or are you like happy where you're at? What's your plan with your real estate business from this point? I mean, as long as the deal cash flows, right? Like I don't do any development deals and like that kind of stuff. Like I think you're more traditional real estate. I mean, I'm, I'm very not house flipper ish. I'm more mm -hmm. buy an asset that is performing today that has room upside, you know, like maybe we can bump the rents up 50 bucks in every unit without doing anything. 
just by putting right back on the market. But then there needs to be a component of forced appreciation that we can also work on to bump in an additional 50 or $100 more. Um, as long as it fits those criteria, I'm in. I think I see, I see a lot of like newer investors, they're like, oh, it's not a good time in the market. But if you know what you're doing and you can underwrite the deals the right way to you can do your sensitivity analysis, I mean, I think you keep investing in deals as long as you know, deals are coming by. And, but that's the thing, you just gotta be more selective. Are you looking at um, like increasing the, uh, the, the cap rate on the property and then like doing a cash out refi to pull your initial investments out um, so you can go and you know, put that into something else with the loan proceeds or are you just buying the property flat and keeping it for cash flow? Like what's, what sort of your, your strategy with these? Yeah, so we like to call it like a slow flip. So we'll usually like to hold on to the property for five years. The first couple of years, we'll be rehabbing all the units. And you just do that naturally as tenants move out, right? So you mm -hmm. don't, you, you keep your, your cash flow high and you stay in the green. And then as they move out, then you rehab the units um, as they come up, up, up available. And slowly but surely, you'll probably go through all the units in the first couple of years. And then another couple of years to stabilize the books and increase the, you know, increase the community at that point once you've got the rent increases. And then hopefully you can transcend to the next um, asset class level, like take a property from a C, maybe a C plus, B minus, and get, it, get a higher cap rate um, sale or a multiplier. Um, so yeah. all, all this time- So you know, you're, you're pulling out of that one and buying something else? Right, right. And part of that is like, you know, people are like, well, why don't you just hold onto the property forever? And I'm like, well, you know, a lot of properties we buy are like 1970s, 1980s property. At some point, the, it's just the old property, right? You, your huge CapEx is going to catch up with you. And um, it's just an older property. Yeah. So what we try and do is we try and put nice lipstick on a pig, bump the value, and let's get out and let's move on to the next one. Because our highest and best use is increasing the NOI, which is increasing the cap rate. Yeah. And... Um... One of the things that a, a commercial investor friend of mine has told me, which because I, I asked him the same question, I was like, "Why don't you hold on to him for cash flow?" Because cash flow is like what everyone wants, and he was like, "Because essentially, because money loves speed, right?" And if I can pull out of this property now and pull a million dollars cash out of it, um, the cash flow of that property would take me three or four or five years to hit a million dollars, right? And if I can take the million dollars out now and put it into a, a next the next asset class, right? The next you know a, either a, a better property or um, increased cash flow, then uh, um, you know, I can, I can grow my, pro my uh, portfolio a lot faster that way. Right. Right. It, and it's based on the person, right? Like if you're Tom Brady and you're already married to that supermodel, like, why would you want to, you know, you're like, well, why don't you stay in the property? Why don't you just do nothing? But he continues to go after Super Bowl rings, right? And those are, it's yeah. his highest and best use is doing something else. Absolutely. So what I'm going to talk about is uh, your fatal flaw, right? So Superman has his kryptonite. Batman's not actually a superhero. When it comes to like growing your business, has there been something that has either held you back or something that you struggled with as an entrepreneur or as an investor that you um, that you've had to work on? And what was it, and how have you sort of worked on that and helped uh, overcome that? Yeah, I think my kryptonite is like I still do a lot of the computer stuff by myself. I mean, that's probably why I made starting a podcast was not daunting to me at all. Like I still edit all my podcasts and, you know, I remember when I was like 15, 16 years old for like band, you know, these, you do these tape tests, I would like get the software and edit my tape test together. 
Um, yeah. So making podcasts is like nothing, right? But it still takes up a lot of my time right now. And I probably shouldn't do that because <laughs> that's kind of $10 work and below. But that's probably my fatal flaws. Like I, I keep working in my business. So I, uh, I, I highly suggest hiring some people. <laughs> I hear you, man. I hear you. I, uh, I, think, I think one uh, of my problems too is like for certain things, I just don't trust people. Like, you know, like up, I don't want to give the login to YouTube or like the podcast uploader. You know, like I just think somebody can really screw it up. So I hold yeah. on to those. But yeah, I, I need to give up whatever else I can for sure. Yeah. So like one of the, one of the things that, uh, that was, I, cause I had the same problem. Um, and there's things that you can do to get around that. So like, you know, like LastPass, for instance, you can share logins with people and they don't actually see the passwords. And then there's like YouTube, for instance, has the ability to give someone restricted permissions. You can get, make them a manager instead of an admin. Um, and you can start giving away a lot of those things. What you find, at least what I found in my business is the more I gave away, the less I realized I didn't have to worry about a lot of it. Um, and it's really helped grow my business. So yeah, I got that hopefully. last class thing here too. And I didn't know you could add an admin. Write that down. And have a yeah, talk. So yeah. If you're on your YouTube channel, if you have a personal YouTube channel, um, then you can't add managers, but if you can transition it to a business YouTube account um, and it doesn't cost anything, you just, you know, go in there and tell them I want to make it a business account. And then you get the ability to have managers. Um, oh. So you can go to permissions and you can say, I want to have managers and you can give them like restricted permissions. Um, so then you own it and you don't have, you're not giving up your admin or your owner rights. You just have, you know, this person's allowed to upload videos, but not delete them, that kind of things or whatever. Okay. Well, yeah. if you're doing it, can't be that bad, huh? <laughs> can't be that bad. Especially if you find good people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, it's I, really a, I try to pay them on time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pay them on time. That's uh that's one of the things that, uh, like was for my, my business was like learning how to like, oh man, once you have people, then you have to like manage payroll and that kind of stuff. But it also helps grow your business um, right. and takes you out of doing some of those things. And I know um, I said, I don't run real estate, but um, I know there's like, you like really growing the real estate business. You get into like, how can I have someone who's doing the acquisitions and someone who's doing, you know, managing the, uh, the property managers and stuff like that. So it's not coming to you. Mm -hmm. um, and you start, uh, start really scaling that way. Exactly. Oh, thanks for that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, what I want to talk about next is sort of like, is your, your driving force. What is it that you are, you know, Spider-Man fights to save New York, Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to, you know, categorize all the world's information. What is it that you are really striving for with your, um, investing career? Yeah. I mean, I think like the, if the one thing that really pisses me off in this world is that there's a lot of other working professionals who like busted their butts in college and in, at their jobs and they're still having to live lives where they go to their day job that they may not like and they're gonna have to work at it for, for 40 50 years yeah um, and i think that that stems from a lot of bad financial advice out there which is starts with like you know just investing in mutual funds and stock market stuff and i think that i mean I, i've kind of proven it as long as you invest in yeah in like things that have cash flow are leverageable and hard, hard real assets instead of these fake paper assets. I mean, you can retire in five to ten years, no problem. Um, so, I mean, it's so that, really helping helping people who are in your shoes know that they can actually retire, do something different by by changing what they're doing with their 
you know, discretionary income. Right, right. And, and also, you know, there's a lot of websites out there that are these like penny pitcher guys, you know, save all your money, don't drink a Starbucks latte, you know, which <laughs> I think is like, you know, don't go into debt. You know, I, I'm like, you know, go into prudent debt where you're getting cash flow, right? So it pays for itself. Yeah. Smart debt, you know, to your little background you got up there, smart, <laughs> smart right. debt that actually pays, that pays for itself. Exactly. Exactly. So it's just, it's just very uh, counterintuitive. Um, you know, people who read Rich Dad, Poor Dad get it, but then there's no, there's none of that, you know, you, you read that book and you're like very motivated, but then you're like, all right, what do so I, do? What do I do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, if you're a high paid professional and you've done the work to get that good salary, you have, you're able to save your money and not just have it go through a hole through your pocket. Well then do it like how I have, you know, buy a single family home, get started and then go into bigger deals as you progress. It's very simple. Yeah. Do you, do you put up all of your own capital for your properties or do you use um, investor capital or do anything like that nowadays? Yeah, so what we do is we, when we share in, we bring in partners um, on larger deals. So when I put in my capital, it goes on the same investor class as other investors. So it's, um, you know, we call this private equity or syndications. So think of it like the general partners or I'm in the cockpit with the other partners. We're managing the deal. We're finding the deal. We're lining up the lenders. And then all these limited partners come in the, in the coach, invest money, and they go to sleep and they go about their lives and, you know, hopefully collect your checks. Um, yeah. And the idea is as a high net worth uh, credit investor, you're going into dozens and dozens of these projects, um, curating your portfolio, and you're diversified over a lot of different deals, a lot of different partners, areas, asset classes, um, and you know you never should have anywhere more than like five, ten percent of your net worth into any one particular deal. So, one of the things that's always fascinated me is that in the real estate space, you have the business side and you have the investing side, right? So the business side is like what you're doing, where you're actually buying the properties and managing them and helping grow them and doing the operations and like like you're, you're in the business of real estate um and then you have the investors who come in and they put the money up for real estate right once you you know they go on their their daily lives they're high network individuals and they put the money in and they get some sort of a return on that um i'm curious if you ever think you're going to make that transition or work in both ways where you have the the real estate that you're running the business side for and then maybe you're just taking some of that cash flow that you have or the net worth that you create from the real estate and investing in other projects that you're not doing the business on where you're just being the, you know, I'm, I'm going to put up my $100,000, $200,000 or a million dollars into this project and make a return on it. Are you, do you think you'll ever make that, that transition? Um, I mean, right now I'm kind of doing that right with my own projects. Um, I guess like you kind of said, but you know, it's like, I, I underwrite the deals myself. I know the people, right? Like part, Half of this is the numbers, half of it is the people. If I know who I'm working with and I'm in the general partnership, then why wouldn't I? You know, it's, it's more information, more insight for me as an investor to do that. Um, have I done that? Yeah, probably a couple of times where I'm not in the general partnership and I like the deal, I like the people and I just jump in. Just put up the cash. But I don't know, I mean, me personally, if, I'm an insider, so I want to be on the inside, you know? <laughs> that makes sense. Right. I mean, but yeah. probably, you know, in the future, 
you know, when I'm worth millions, I'll probably do what these other guys are doing. And they just, they just uh, put in 50 grand and as a test investment. And if they, if the, the operator performs, now I open up the floodgates and here I come. Yeah. But no, no, I mean, I was, I, I I was just always be in the game, right? Like I'll always be in the circles, I'll always be at the bar talking to the, the people actually doing the deals. And that's what, what's nice about this. You actually know who you're working with personally. That's one of the uh, the things that really fascinated me about the investing side. I was talking to um, another gentleman who does uh, um, apartment um, investing, and he was like, you know, just for numbers' sake, they'd buy a million dollar property, and you know, the lenders are only going to lend eighty percent LTV or whatever loan to value, so they have two hundred thousand dollars they need to bring in. Um, so they would have the investors, you know, an investor put in the two hundred thousand dollars, and they give them like a ten percent equity stake, and you know, they would take the property to its highest and best use. Now it's worth $2 million and they pull out the, uh, the you know, they do a, a cash out refi and the investor who put out his $200,000, he was making, you know, 10% of the rent every month and he made, he got his $200,000 back in 18 months and um, then he has a 10% equity stake. So he gets 10% of the uh, million dollars that came back and like he put up $200,000 and made like half a million dollars over five years. It's like, and you didn't have to do anything. And I was like, that's always fascinating to me that there's like, there's also that side of the investing. When you get to a certain level of net worth, you can just put money up, let it, you know, let an operator like yourself come in and actually really make their money work for them. Um, it's such a fascinating, fascinating world in real estate that you can, uh, you can actually really get your money to, to produce more than, uh, than the effort you're putting in. Right, right. And you know, like, I'm not really a fan of real estate in particular. I mean, uh, one of the big reasons I like it is, just the tax benefits, right? Like when, yeah. when I was doing my single family homes, I think a lot of people who own rentals know this, like you're able to take uh, a straight line depreciation of 27 years. So on that, um, you know, you just divide the price of the property divided by, or the value of the building divided by 27 years. But on these larger deals are large enough so that we can do a cost segregation so we get an engineer to itemize every single component of the building who get makes this big stack of accounting stuff. They give it to the accountant and now the accountant's able to write off the, a huge proportion of the uh, building in year one. We call this bonus depreciation. And you know, if an investor puts in like a hundred grand as a passive investment, I'm seeing anywhere from like 60 to 90 thousand dollars coming back in year one bonus depreciation to offset their income and if you're a real estate professional well, that's the key um now you can use that to offset your w2 income so if you're a high-paid doctor making five hundred thousand, just go into a few of these deals and now you now the whole game become knocking your agi from 500 down to 350 or whatever that highest mm -hmm. tax yeah the adjusted gross income right um, so people are, uh, it's, it's dropping down how much they're actually, uh, right. Uh, right. Being taxed on. I mean, the reason why huge savings. Yeah. I mean, the reason why I love, I love house flippers because they pay all our taxes for us. <laughs> Everything that they make is ordinary income. Mm -hmm. Everything we do is pretty much tax free, you know? Yeah. And then you can, you know, even when you, uh, um, uh, one of the things that really fascinated me was like loan proceeds are, are, uh, are not taxable. So right, you cash know, out refi, right. yeah, when you do a cash out refi, it's not taxed. So when you take a property and you double its, uh, um, it's net operating income and you go from, you know, it's worth a million dollars to $2 million, that million dollar spread that you pull out on a cash out refi is 
tax-free. Like <laughs> that's, that's insane. Right. And then um, you pull, you pull that money out and you go into five other deals. You get you the, do it again. Yeah. And you get the, the bonus depreciation from that. And luckily those passive losses, you can carry forward that indefinitely. You don't have to use it that mm -hmm. year. Yeah. I have a, I have a friend of mine who invests in commercial real estate. He calls it uh H N B money, which is hip national bank. It goes right into the, your pocket. <laughs> yeah. Are you tired of trying to write webinars that don't consistently convert? How would you like to have a webinar that effortlessly created sales in your online business? You can. Introducing the Webinar Alchemy Workshop. Webinar Alchemy Workshop is an online masterclass that will help you write incredibly persuasive webinars for your online courses quickly and easily. Using what you learn in this class, you can build a webinar that educates your entire audience while still creating sales. For a limited time, you can purchase this masterclass for only $7, and you'll get the exact framework I've personally used to help my clients sell more than a million dollars worth of online coaching and training just over the last year. Simply text the word ALCHEMY, A-L-C-H-E-M-Y, to 444-999, and I'll send you all the details. The music is by Purple Planet Music. Visit www.purple-planet.com. And now, back to the show. Cool. So... I'm going to talk a little bit about um, some of your own, your own personal heroes, right? Frodo had Gandalf, Luke had Obi-Wan, Robert Kiyosaki, we mentioned had his rich dad. Who are some of uh, your heroes? Were they real-life mentors, speakers or authors, peers that are just figures ahead of you? And how important were they to what you've accomplished in your, in your business so far? Yeah, I mean, I think like my investing really took off not too long ago. Um, you know, when I had 11 rentals, I took that next step because I started to, you know, pay money to join these masterminds and you get around other people, you know, other, and I try to find other doctors, lawyers, engineers, other high paid professionals to see what they were doing. Um, and it's not one in particular, but just in the myriad of different topics that they discuss and how they really engineer their lifestyle around, you know, some of them like their jobs and, you know, maybe they might go down to two, three days a week of working. Um, some of them don't, right? And they quit and they become a real estate professional so they can harvest all those tax losses and uh, offset every single one of their income, including their spouses. But it's just a whole like world of just, the world is your oyster and you create your own and just getting a whole bunch of different data points and different philosophies um, from a, a myriad of people. Um, you know, in terms so would you of, say, would you... When you made that transition to like getting yourself around a bunch of people who were doing this, did that really explode your business? Yeah. I mean, you know, from 2015, 16 to now, I mean, I mean, going from 11 units to 2,800 now, I mean, it just numbers don't lie. Right. Yeah. That's, a, job that's an insane, insane growth. Um, 2,800 units. So just, just out of curiosity, how much of your personal time is put into managing a 2,800 unit portfolio? I don't know. I try to keep it under like four, 60 hours, you know, I'm, I was 60 hours. I mean, I'm definitely like per week. Yeah. A week. A lot of, some of that is editing podcasts, right? Stuff I shouldn't be doing, but that's why <laughs> you, you build and scale in such a way where you have professionals working for you. Mm-hmm. And you also have other partners too that are aligned that have skin in the game too and have skin in the outcome also. Yeah. We're all pulling in the same direction. And I think that's, that's where the mom and pa investors go wrong. They don't trust anybody. They do everything themselves and they, they violate that other rule that I mentioned. You know, they have huge sums of money to just one deal. It's a huge risk. Yeah. Um, so you want to spread that around and actually get, get other people. Right? <laughs> 
I, I would imagine those 60 hours of, of, of work you put into managing your portfolio, not a single one of them goes into fixing toilets. No, no, <laughs> I, I, you know, honestly, I don't know how to do an eviction. I understand how long it kind of takes, but it's different in every state, right? Like that's, that's the property manager's job. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. But, but it happens in your business. You just, you know, that's not a thing I know how to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, that, I mean, that's why apartments are a little easier because now the property managers are a lot more sophisticated than your residential property mm -hmm. managers. Instead of talking about, you don't talk about individual evictions. We talk about it at our calls where we're talking about, all right, what is our total occupancy? I mean, we're just talking mm -hmm. percentages at that point. Yeah. It's really interesting. So it's unfair, uh, right? Like you, until you get to that scale, it's hard to get to that scale, but once it is, it's, it's, un, it's so easy. Yeah. So do you think from this point, it's going to be um, fairly simple to go from, you know, almost 3000 units to like four or five or 6,000 units in your portfolio? Um, yeah, probably. But I mean, now I'm kind of starting to think about, all right, what's my end game here? All right. Um, as I tell a lot of my investors, like, you know, you got to come up with a, a simple passive cash flow number in your head. Right. And you got to figure out what your kind of lifestyle you want to live and how much money you need every month. And um, for me, I live a pretty simple life and I don't really need too much. Um, so, but then again, it, 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 once you get to a certain scale and you have people you work with that you have a good relationship with, like it's just, why would you not do it? Right. It's easy to keep going. Right. Right. So maybe just be a little even more selective, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out myself. Like what, what the, uh, what the next steps are, you know, do you grow your portfolio of real estate or do maybe you start buying other, other cash flowing businesses and, you know, start doing yeah, legacy. I don't, know, I don't know if I'm going to do businesses because businesses are even more riskier and higher return, of course. But like, you know, that's why real estate's so nice because it's more of an end game strategy. You mm -hmm. know, and I think that's why I'm going to mobile home parks is a little bit more cash flow asset. And I am starting to learn about like life settlements these days, which is an even more lower risk. I mean, it's totally uncorrelated with any economic ups and downs. Um, and this is investing in uh, people's life insurance. You basically buy it from them as an investor. And yeah, when they die, you get paid. So, you know, the, the premise is, um, you know, nothing is more guaranteed than death and taxes, right? So why not be on the on the investor side of that? Really morbid, but hey, that's I mean, an interesting. I, did, I I was not even aware that was an investing class that you could buy insurance policies. And, I assume, and, do you pay out the death benefit? Right, and that's the beauty of it, right? Like you want to be a contrarian investor. Everybody talks about flipping houses and taxing. Very few people talk about apartment investing or mobile home park investing, but nobody's talking about life settlements. Goodness gracious. Yeah. I've like, I've never even heard of that. And I got a lot of investor buddies. <laughs> so that's crazy. You'll have to, uh, to, to look more into that a little bit, see what it's, what it's about. Um, I assume that's, do you have to be an accredited investor before you can start investing in things like that? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's officially kind of be approved by the, well, I mean, being accredited is sort of like being pregnant, right? You either are, you aren't. Because no one's going to give you a certificate saying you're accredited. Um, mm -hmm. But that's, you know, to me, that's that's what kind of drives me crazy. Like, there's all these like laws that accredited investors supposedly have more access to these type of 
private equities. And, you know, I, I wasn't afraid of not too long ago. I didn't start off with anything. And I had to kind of build this slowly. And, and it's really sad to, to say that, like, a lot of these better deals, just regular people don't have access to them. And they're the ones that need it the most. Mm -hmm. Right. But, you know, if you're a non accredited investor, you just have to look around. 90 to 97% of deals out there are regulation 506B or they accept non accredited investors. You just don't have access to them because you don't have the network to get into them. That makes sense. So it's like it's building the, uh, building the relationships that gives you access to the, uh, to the deals. Right. Most people who are real estate investors, mom and pause, you know, they're, they're diving into talking to brokers and looking for deals. But when your network gets to be above half a million, certainly accredited, the old saying, your network is your net worth. Mm -hmm. So much more true. Yeah. And it's the, the people that you know that really help you get where you're going. Right. So let's bring it home for our listen, listeners a little bit and talk about uh, guiding principles, um, right? So something that you do on a daily basis, um, regularly, that sort of contributes to your success and your influence. Um, and maybe something that you wish you knew when you first started out on your, uh, your investing career. Um, I say like begin with the end in mind, right? And then try and figure out where you, your, what your pedigree is. Um, when I talk to newer investors, it's always like, I try and figure out where they are in the three resources, time, money, and knowledge. Granted, they're not gonna know too much, but in terms of how much time do they have? Do they work like an 80 hour a week job? Do they have eight kids? And then how much money do they have? You know, like what I do and what I help a lot of people, you know, get single family homes, it's, it's investing, right? You need money to invest. If you don't have money, I can't help you. You got a money problem. You need mm -hmm. to fix that. And um, yeah, I can't help you, right? Like I don't do these creative deals with no money down. You, know, you need money to do what I do. Um, so like, yeah, guiding principles, let's say, you know, also like begin with end in mind because the most people I talk to are like higher network high paid professionals yet they want to flip houses and it's like they got their priorities all messed up. They say yeah. they want to be passive, but they don't, they are not doing that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like, you know, if you're, if you're a high net worth individual and you've got money to put into investing, flipping and wholesaling is a very active type of thing. You're, you're buying things and selling contracts and, you know, you know, doing a lot of work for, for that. You're not actually creating a passive income there. So you're actually saying, Hey, that's, if you're, if your goal is actually to create passive income and you're a high net worth, worth individual, there's probably a different path you should be taking. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, come on the more simple passive cash flow train, but if you're not, Hey man, I'm cool. Keep paying my taxes for me. You know, good job. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, you know, like I've, I've talked to a lot of uh, newbie investors that uh, um, getting into wholesaling is a great way to create that cash, right? To create the money so they can get in and do some of the other deals that, you know, you're talking about where you, you have to have money to get in and get started. Um, where, you know, if you're going to wholesale a deal or two, you can create ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 that you can use to put into, you know, a, a more passive style, style uh, property. Right. I mean, I've never wholesaled a property. I mean, my, I just go to work at my day job and save money. And yeah, I ate ramen noodles a lot for the first few years. But, you know, I mean, a lot of my guys, like, 
I'm like, why would you want to wholesale a property and make 10 grand when you can just work an extra shift on Sunday, do an extra surgery and you make 10 right there. Right. Yeah. Like it, again, yeah, so I mean, that's what your highest and best use is. Like, mm -hmm. So you're, you're talking to a, a specific subset of the market that has, has the high paying, high paying jobs that they can use to create the, uh, create the income they need. Create the right. Cash. Right. And, and a lot of times like my heart kind of goes out to these guys because they're the ones that busted their butt from kindergarten all the way through college and then more years of college and then more professional licenses. I mean, yeah. you know, not, not saying that, you know, this subset is more deserving or not, but I remember when I was in college, I wasn't frolicking playing Frisbee in the quad. I was in the basement doing my homework. Absolutely. That's the way, that's the way it goes down. You put a lot of, a lot of work in. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really like that you're, you're, like you know who your people are and who you're trying to help um and you know really really hope you can uh can grow your smart past cash flow brand and really help more of those people because the uh real estate um what is it they say uh more millionaires are created in real estate than any other asset class so at this point um i just want to thank you for coming on being on the show where can people find you if they want to learn more if they're you know they're a high network individual or high uh, highly paid professional and they want to learn about the um, investing stuff where can they find you what can they uh um you know and what what kind of uh, people are you looking for yeah i would say you know if you're kind of looking to get started i would check out my first 20 podcasts which are all about buying uh, remote turnkey rentals mm -hmm. um and then yeah i mean check me check out the website simple passive cash flow and then well, that's the podcast and then the website simple passive cash flow.com and uh, yeah thanks for having me richard yeah, it's great to have you on the show and talk a little bit about uh, investing. I haven't had any other uh, investors on the show before, so it's kind of cool to uh, get and talk about some of that. It's one of my favorite subjects. Um, so yeah, thanks for coming on the show. And if you are um, one of those people who has a, a highly paid um, profession and want to get into real estate, I would you know check out simplepassivecashflow.com and start looking into some of the real estate stuff. I know um, it's a it's a great way to to put your money somewhere that'll actually work for you a little bit harder than. Uh, working for it for yourself. So thank you, Lane, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Look forward to, uh, to speaking to you more soon. Yeah.